Well, Heather, let me let me dad mansplain this to you mm. in terms of an overlong story that conveys a simple piece of advice, which I'm sure you already knew. Hey everyone, welcome to Two Takes on Film. My name is Wyatt Roy, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Heather Davenport. Hello. Hello, Heather. How are you? Oh my gosh, the way that you said that reminds me of this ASMR girl that I uh, watch sometimes. The way that I said, how are you? Yeah. Okay. Remind me to never <laughs> say it like that again. <laughs> I've sent you some of her stuff before. I have promptly not watched it. Mm, it's so good. It just no. calms the mind. I'm not an ASMR person. No, it doesn't calm the mind. It makes my mind dizzy and it makes my skin crawl and I do not like it. It's really good. You should listen to it. <laughs> no. Um, if you're out there, We've we've done some kind of ASMR-ish episodes in the past. Not actually, but little bits. Although I feel like we have quite a few more listeners with us now than mm-hmm. we did at the time. That was pretty early on. Mm-hmm. So if you're out there, do you have any interest in us doing an ASMR episode, Ooh. themed episode, even a short one? Um, what would that look like even? Would, would, I, I don't think, I can't give a proper review whispering. No, no. Also, well, <laughs> we found this when we tried it the other time. I just really... I can't whisper. I realized I can't whisper in a in a tone loud enough for the mic to pick up. Right. I think my voice is too low, and when I whisper, it's like you just literally aphonic. Yeah, it's very quiet, and like yeah. the microphone does not pick it up. Yeah. So we'll work on. Maybe we need to do a segment where we eat uh, traditional mm. movie foods. Mm. Yeah, you guys want to hear me just, just, just absolutely. Munch on some popcorn. Like I said, absolutely consuming. Like the most standard word there was. Not like (laughs) devouring. Like absolutely consuming this popcorn. (laughs) No, if you listen to me eat popcorn, you're really listening to the sound of most of the popcorn in my hand dropping and hitting my shirt. (laughs) I I dropped so much popcorn. Literally the other day, well, actually, when when I went to see the French Dispatch with mm-hmm. Noel and and Joel, my friends Noel and Joel, shout out, um, Noel and Joel, hi Noel and Joel, we we like started the movie and I grabbed some popcorn and like the first grab or whatever, which isn't they're not as big because the bucket's kind of like overflowing, so you can't really just sure. like dig into it, right, or else it yeah. falls off the side. Yeah, so just like like five pieces and I was holding them in just like a couple of my fingers and it got like an inch away from my mouth and just exploded <laughs> and every every that. piece but one like I held on to one and every other piece went in like a completely different direction like a firework mm-hmm. one hit my eye one like went straight down to my lap one hit Noel which is how she <laughs> noticed yeah uh I'm, I'm wow. kind of a kind of a mess that was the chosen kernel I guess so. Yeah. My fingers just like weed out all the bad pieces and just give me the <laughs> golden one. one piece. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Okay. Does anyone out there truly eat one piece of popcorn at a time? 
Are you? Yeah. Do you? No. No, 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 no. Wait, do you do this? Sometimes. <laughs> I vacillate between one at a time and just an entire mouthful. Yeah. Does anyone out there, is that the only way they eat popcorn? Mm. Like bucket directly on lap, just one, not even like you, like you pick up one piece of popcorn at a time is what I mean. Not like you pick up a couple and then put one at a time into your mouth. Does anyone just literally like go hand to bucket? one piece in the mouth and then back and forth like that. Like what an arm workout you're getting throughout the movie. I'd have to switch to my left at some point. Cause I get tired. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't think it's like that taxing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm it's tall. So the buckets, drink. the bucket is far away from my mouth. <laughs> you short people, the bucket, you, can, you don't even have to use your hands. You can just you eat it right people. out of the bucket. <laughs> just <laughs> lean down and like, you know, lap it up with your tongue. Like a yeah. dog. Yeah. Anyway, so we're going to do all that on more on our ASMR special coming out next week. <laughs> Tune For in. Thanksgiving. Oh. How was your Halloween, Heather? Uh, well, Halloween day, I was driving back from the central coast. I had gone up for a wedding um, and yeah, I was just journeying back. But on the way back home, uh, my roommate who had gone with me, she's originally from Santa Barbara and she has through her sister has a connection to a guy named Nick who is working for Oscar Meyer as one of their Wienermobile drivers. <laughs> he does a lot. He has a partner and the two of them, I think have like a territory or something and mm. literally just travel around with the Wienermobile, going to events, going to, um, I can't talk about it, but they're doing something very special today. Uh, so like exclusive what? events, I literally can't talk about it because I'm not even supposed to know about it, but they do really special fun things. And it's literally just to bring joy to people and to, I don't know, remind yeah, it's people. definitely not at all to promote a brand. <laughs> no, it very much is <laughs> to promote Oscar Meyer. But ultimately, they they don't sell stuff. They don't even they don't have a food license, so they can't even technically like give oh, out I hot they, dogs. Like, gave or out hot like dogs. No, they will often partner with people who are doing events, and they might give out hot dogs. Anyways, oh. this is too much information. Weird. All of that to say. He has been in Santa Barbara with his partner over the past handful of days. Right. They're, and their wiener territory. Their wiener territory has currently been Santa Barbara. And so naturally, we had to make a stop on the way home uh, to see the wiener mobile. I have never seen inside a wiener mobile before. We had to. We had to. We had to. Have you ever seen inside a wiener mobile? <laughs> no. I have, I don't know how much desire I do have to see inside. Like, you know, I don't want to know how the sausage is made, you know? Well, sometimes I feel like you don't know how much of a desire you have until the opportunity is in front of you. And mm. then you're like, yeah, I will absolutely take a little bit of extra time getting home so that I can see the Wienermobile. And let me tell you, I was not disappointed. I walked away with four weenie whistles two of which are glow in the dark uh i will post a picture of them so you all can see actually i'm not gonna i'm not gonna post a picture of them but <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna uh, post a picture of them with the lights off so you can see two of them glowing. oh 
uh, yeah, that no. could be fun. <laughs> no, I don't think that. I mean, if you out there, you're listening and you're like, I have a deep desire to see Heather's, Heather's <laughs> Just go to my, whistle. my Instagram. I literally already <laughs> posted a picture of it. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Photo. We talked about it. That's yeah. right. I took a picture in front of the Wienermobile and then took a picture of the weenie whistle inside the Wienermobile. Mm. You know, just so meta, you know? Yeah. Um, anyways, so most of my Halloween was spent driving back, uh, to my home from the central coast. Uh, and then Halloween night we went, why are you smiling? (laughs) Halloween night we went and saw last night in Soho. Um, and that was a treat. I thought we were going to have to move our seats because the, um, there were three people sitting next to us who were quite chatty and, I was not about it. I was not here for it, mm-hmm. but they calmed down a little bit uh, oh, once the movie good. actually started. So we were okay. Good. So anyways, how was your Halloween? Uh, it was really good. I uh, went dressed as Arthur, the classic uh, TV, former TV show character. Former. As we know, it was canceled just so two sad. months ago or so. Yeah. Um, so I went dressed as Arthur. I went originally to like a, a trunk or treat you know what that mm, it is yeah of course yeah um so it was at like a church i have some friends with a bunch of little kids and they were going to that so there's like a bunch of different little stations for the kids um and i thought oh this will go over really well like i'm dressed as arthur none of the kids knew who i was oh that's yeah. probably why it got canceled yeah i guess so and it's not even that they didn't they're know who interested. i was and then i said arthur and they're like oh yeah <clears throat> no like they didn't know who i was i said arthur and they're like who? <laughs> Still don't like, care. you know, the aardvark. And they're like, what? <laughs> you know, the revolutionary and inspirational aardvark on yeah. PBS. Come on, kids. But yeah, so that didn't go over super well. But then I did go over to my friend's house and we hung out there. And um, they live in a neighborhood not too far away from mine, but it's more like I live on a cul-de-sac off mm-hmm. a pretty major road. So not mm-hmm. a lot of kids come into the cul-de-sac because they're not walking on like oh, that big sure, road sure, um, but yeah. they live in more like a, a true like suburb kind of neighborhood yeah. so there were tons of kids in the area and it was really cute That's and cute. we we kept a tally on their like chalkboard they have in their house mm-hmm. of like types of costumes and mm-hmm. the winner i'm pretty sure at the end of the night was a tie between uh, a ghost and satan <laughs> oh my <laughs> or some form of the devil type of thing we had to we really specified we're like are you the devil or are you satan are you lucifer specifically like because <laughs> oh. we're really adamant about us getting it right yeah i actually do feel like um just from a social media perspective i did see a lot of kids as ghosts this year yeah maybe because it's easy what an easy costume to put sure. together it's because scream is coming back out they're all doing ghost face i don't know if that's it no it's not <laughs> <laughs> You don't know any kids that are big fans of meta uh, horror slashers from the 90s? No, I don't. Well, they should be. Maybe. But at the end of Halloween night, I voice memoed you a question that Mm. to this day, days later, you still have not answered. So we're going to put it on record here. I'm a busy boy. "Mm, Yeah. I asked you. (laughs) You are. You are. (laughs) Uh, I asked you. If in the future, when you have a wife, when you have children, will you, first question, will you do a family costume? Secondly, 
will you be the one to choose it? And Mm. thirdly, how long will you make your kids be a part of that? Mm. If you choose to do that. I would like to. So that's what we did growing up. My mom made our costumes from scratch every single year. A seamstress. Yes. And they were always very intricate and they were family costumes and they were not like normal. It wasn't like, oh, Wyatt's really into the Avengers right now. He wants to go as Iron Man. Therefore, Stephanie will go as Thor and Lauren will go as Blackwood. Like it wasn't like that. Like we, before Macy, my little sister was born, there were just three of us. Mm -hmm. We went as an ice cream sundae. So my mom took a red wagon, you know, that we had that we all fit in because we were really young and uh, on wood painted two like bananas, cut it out and, and put those on the side of the wagon. So when you looked at it, you just saw like, you know, sliced bananas on the side of the wagon. And then for us, she made these outfits that we wore like, like dresses, I guess that were big, like ice cream scoops. And then for each of us, she made almost like scarf type things that went on top of that. Mine was, I believe like chocolate. Stephanie's was strawberry and Lauren's was like caramel colored. Mm. And so those, like we put on our big ice cream scoops, which were white. And then those went on top of us and draped down just like those would drip. And then we all sat in the cart next to each other. And then we all had hats, like little bonnets almost that strapped underneath our chin that were cherries. And they had like a little stem and everything. And then we would, you know, so we, and it's great for us because we didn't have to run around or anything. They would literally roll us up to the doorsteps. I mean, we were very young. Mm -hmm. So they were always really creative like that. Like one Mm -hmm. time we went as um, a campfire Mm -hmm. uh, or like a a s'more type setting. So like Stephanie was a bar of chocolate. Macy was a marshmallow because she was still like pretty young. So they Mm -hmm. could just hold her like as a marshmallow. Um, I... Lauren was a toothbrush or toothpaste. Oh, wait, sorry. That was a different year. <laughs> Not for the s'more thing. Not with the s'more. Lauren was um, a graham cracker or whatever. And then I was like actually a fire. And my mom, she took like a planter box. It's like round, used suspenders so that I could put it on and it would like float at my waist and then had fabric with fans and lights like fire coming up from amazing it. it's like very intricate stuff she's not even a seamstress she was like a master builder yeah we went as chinese food takeout one year and she built us chinese food takeout boxes to wear and then macy who was really young went as a fortune cookie so it was cute. it was very cute yeah there's there's some pictures from it maybe we'll post some of them on on the instagram but i like absolutely love that every year one took control in my hands as a kid i didn't really care yeah. Also, like people went crazy for him every single year. Oh, uh, yeah. We probably stopped when I was like just starting middle school. So Lauren was like in middle of high school. I think okay. we just became like Lauren was kind of doing her own thing on Halloween with her friends, maybe or or whatnot. We just became a little too old for it. But it honestly wasn't because we hated it that much. Like, yeah, I don't think we stopped because all of us were like, no, this is so lame. Like, I think while it was something that like oh mom's kind of making us do we recognize like how cool it was and it it was super cool so i would Mm. love to continue that i'm sure my mom will try to do that for like all of her grandkids yeah that's true i would i would love to to continue that that's sweet but you so do you feel like you would want to be the one to choose what you guys are though 
again, my mom will literally probably like do it for us without asking and then just like (laughs) ship me the costumes. Like they'll just show up like at my house Mm. in July and be like, haha, it's too early for you to plan anything else. So now you have to do these. (laughs) And I'll be like, you know, I'll be kind of lazy and be like, okay, yeah, that's good good enough. Um, no, if it were up to me and my kids, I, I think having my mom choose was kind of good. Cause none of us would have come up with like, we right. should be Chinese food takeout. Totally. You know? like, totally. Um, but also if one of my kids has some sort of inspiration that they mm-hmm. really want to do, mm-hmm. I could see running with that, you know? So, oh my gosh, you have sent me some of the pictures. Before, Are you looking just, at the pictures? I just found them. Yeah. Oh, was that you as a tube of toothpaste? Or no, was that's that Lauren. Stephanie? That's, that's Lauren. Lauren. Yeah. So oh, I was. Who, what I, were you that year? I was a tooth. Oh. Because sure. I Macy wasn't born yet. So no, 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 no. Macy was born. Macy was a tooth because she was like newborn, newborn. So I don't remember what I was. <laughs> oh, there's the ice cream Sunday one. Yeah. You did send it to me. Oh yeah. man! Wow, so good. Hmm. Um, I love that. I think that's great. I I we did not do like group things as a family. Um, my sister and I certainly always dressed up as kids and then my little brothers dressed up as well, but I don't, I don't recall ever doing like a family costume. Um, but I feel like this year in particular, I saw so many family costumes or Mm -hmm. like group costumes, like more than I feel like I have seen in the past. So I don't know if just after the past couple of years, people have had time to think about it or have had time to be inspired, but I'm a big fan and, uh, I think it's quite cute. So I do think it's cute. I just don't, well, yeah, I think that there's like this, this, as social media becomes larger or whatever, and you have these like Instagram famous families, like people follow people just to like, I, I, I don't really get it. And if, if you, you're out there and you do this, I'm, I'm not trying to judge you. I just don't quite understand the like fascination with other people's like families. It's, yeah. it's kind of strange to me, yeah. but I guess usually it's like people who already have acquired a following and then get sure. married and have kids. So it just sure. kind of translates into that. Yeah. But like, there's such this, like these usually white families that like want to just be that like perfect Instagram aesthetic mm-hmm. family. And if, if like, group costumes start just kind of playing into that Mm -hmm. that's kind of dumb i want it to be weird like go as something funny go as like something your kids want or just like a funny idea you had be be a toothbrush and floss and toothpaste and a tooth or whatever and i'm not saying our costumes are better like whatever but like keep it like funny i love i love halloween also i i saw this tweet the other day that was like i think one of the reasons young people like, or at least like people our age love Halloween mm-hmm. so much is mm-hmm. that it's one of the only um, holidays that mm-hmm. isn't like attached to family intrinsically. Mm-hmm. Like no one really cares. You you don't have to deal with the stressors of like yeah. everything that comes with like Thanksgiving and Christmas of family right. being over and this and that and mm-hmm. seeing your aunts and uncles and being a certain way. Like, no, you want to be a werewolf, go be a werewolf with yeah. your friends. Like yeah. you can just let your like weird side out. Yeah. So I hope that that spirit as these families do make it a group thing. I think that mm-hmm. that can be fun, but that spirit of like letting their kids kind of weirdness flesh yeah. out, like, yeah. I hope that really, really stays a part of it and doesn't, it doesn't yeah. get pulled into the like kind of more aesthetically minded uh, look of like often the kind of stereotypical, you know, cute family does. 
Totally. There's even like, there's this video out right now of this little kid who is like, he's sitting on the front desk and or front desk front, um, like porch of his house mm-hmm. and his parents like coordinated for a guy to come dressed as Michael Myers and like say hi to him. Uh-huh. But the kid's like a big fan and the kid uh-huh. puts on a Michael Myers mask and has like a knife. Like my parents, no way they would have done that. Like if I was, first of all, I didn't know who Michael Myers was, but sure. if I did, they would have shut that down. But like, <laughs> I mean, to an extent, don't let your kid like take after him in forms of, you know, murdering sure. people. Murdering. But you know, if your kid is into something, I don't care yeah. if you, you think it's weird, like lean into it, let them. Yeah. Cause he was so happy like to, to see him and thought it was so cool. Cute. But I hope that's the spirit of Halloween. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I yeah. hope that stays alive. I love that. Mm. Well, the reason uh, partially that I brought this up, not only was because it is just Halloween, it was just Halloween words, mm-hmm. um, but also because I feel like um, a character perhaps that some kids might dress up as during Halloween is Buzz Lightyear. And mm. As we know, as we have heard, uh, I think we heard officially at the end of 2020, there is a Buzz Lightyear movie that is in production that is coming, um, that is going to be starring the voice of Chris Evans, um, which obviously is a departure um, from our beloved um, Tim Allen, Allen, who Mm -hmm. has voiced Buzz Lightyear for so many years uh, through the Toy Story franchise. So um, I think there was a trailer that officially dropped this past week, which is why this has kind of resurfaced. Um, There are new images of Buzz Lightyear. And um, so I went back and looked looked into it a little bit. And when it was first announced at the end of 2020, Chris Evans was very, um, I feel like he did a great job of making it very clear that this is not the Buzz toy Lightyear. story Buzz Lightyear, mm-hmm. that that will forever be Tim Allen's character. Like this is nothing about him. This movie is a prequel um, based on the real person of Buzz Lightyear, who that toy in Toy Story is based off of. Right. Um, so hence why Chris Evans is coming in, uh, is voicing it. We get a very different look at the character of of buzz um and i saw a picture of a of the character this week and it's it's him in like normal clothes Mm -hmm. and he has hair and someone was like wait buzz lightyear has hair uh and it's just i never expected him to be bald necessarily but i didn't expect him to have hair either so much hair so luscious yeah um so yeah. Anyways, what are your what are your thoughts on this prequel movie? Do you it definitely have any looks thoughts? weird. I think that it's an interesting take. So I mean, essentially, it's like take a toy like uh, like GI Joe. Yeah. If, if GI Joe had in real life been loosely based on a specific a person. military person, like mm-hmm. from history, then this would be like us making a movie about that real person. Mm-hmm. So this is in the Toy Story world. Buzz Lightyear was supposedly based off the life of a real astronaut, right. and this is his story. Right. Um, which I I, can't, I don't even remember from his name is Lightyear, right or no? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Buzz Lightyear. Yeah. Um, so it's it's an interesting concept. I mm-hmm. I mean I think that Pixar notoriously does better with its original content. So to see it kind of dipping back to the 
the sequel well uh, isn't my yeah. favorite thing in the world, especially yeah. because they had kind of the sequel rut of like the early 2010s with like the Cars franchise finishing mm-hmm. out and um, Monsters University and, you know, just even the like later Toy Story movies just felt a little bit more unnecessary. And they really seemed to get out of that towards the end of the 2010s with inside out and coco and soul just last mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. seemed like they were getting back to the original roots so to see them go back once again now for a fifth time yeah. to this same property um which is crazy it's it's the fifth toy story film if you consider it a toy story film, right right which it's it's not it's not a sequel to those movies in any way right. but it's within that mm-hmm. world for sure mm-hmm. uh it's a little disheartening but at the same time even their worst film is still great. So totally. I'm I'm looking forward to it. The pictures of him are just kind of odd to look at. I don't yeah. think they're bad. They've been receiving a lot of hate. I think that's a bit unnecessary, but I understand why people are kind of put off by it. It's it's sure. weird to look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And obviously the character of Buzz Lightyear has literally been with us for decades. So anytime that you take a character like that and you're changing it in any way, especially when you're when you're taking it and you're like transforming him into this 2021 Pixar modern Pixar, yeah. uh, I think there's going to be some resistance yeah. to that just because he's so iconic. Yeah. But definitely. anyways, so what are your guys' I think, thoughts? I think that'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Do you hate it? Are you like huge Toy Story fans and you think it's just spitting on the not the grave, but spitting on the, yeah. the lasting memory of Toy Story, or do you welcome it? You know, yeah, yeah, valid questions. Mm. So that's what I have for you today. All right, everyone. Well, we're gonna move on to some movie reviews, starting out with my review of The Last Night in Soho. Uh, is it the last night? I think it's just last night. Just in Soho. last night. Mm-hmm. Just last night in Soho. Um, this movie is releasing, excuse me, released last week is from director Edgar Wright, who is, uh, most famous for the three flavored Cornettos trilogy, uh, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz and At World's End, uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the Dead, uh, Baby Driver from just a couple of years ago. So a very talented, a generational, you know, talent really in the filmmaking world. Um, and this is his first take on horror. Uh, Last Night in Soho stars Thomasin McKenzie as Ellie, a small town go- girl, <laughs> moving goal, uh, moving to London for fashion school with dreams of becoming a grand designer. Upon arriving, however, Ellie starts to have unexplainable visions of Sandy, a young woman from 1960s London, as she follows a dangerous and mysterious path. Ooh. So, first of all. Um, we're talking about Edgar Wright as a director. He's always been a very poppy director, um, mm. a very rhythmic and kind of energetic director. Music has always played a huge, huge part in his films. Uh, literally, he became known for, which it's something that's been replicated a lot and you'll see it in trailers all the time. But he was kind of the first one that became known for editing his action sequences or his more high energy sequences to match the beats of mm-hmm film that's going on this kind of came to a head in baby driver it used to be uh more of just a director's trademark that he'd kind of whip out during a few scenes every film uh but in baby driver it really became kind of the driving force of every action beat of the film um something like 
the gunshots and a gunfight lining up with the bass kicks of a drum mm-hmm. and a song, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you probably recognize it. Like I said, it's been replicated in a lot of trailers. This movie is probably his least musical film yet in mm-hmm. terms of how the music directly impacts what you're seeing on screen. Right. I think diving into horror, there's only so much you could do because the way that horror flows, the way that the more high energy scenes of a horror film, scenes that are scarier, it doesn't have the same kind of um, rhythmic beat that uh, an action scene does, which all of his other films have been more comedy action pieces mm-hmm. rather than comedy horror pieces. So you just the the kind of language of a horror scene doesn't really lend itself to that kind of editing. So you do step away from that. So if that's like, your favorite thing about Edgar Wright, um, which I certainly do love that it is probably yeah. missing the most in this film. And that's one of the things that I was kind of most disappointed by this film mm. is it is one of his least musical films ever. However, he makes up for it with a lot of new tricks kind of up his sleeve that he brings to the table. So, like I said, this is his first foray into horror, um, which, you know, before we keep going, if you're, if you're someone who gets scared very easily, this really isn't that scary of a film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's light, light horror for sure. Mostly psychological thriller. Yeah. Uh, the the thrills come more from the kind of mysterious, trippy, spooky vibe mm-hmm. than um, actual like jump scares or truly, truly horrifying things. No, it is. It is definitely a horror film at times. It is yeah. definitely bloody and violent and scary at times. But don't let the title of his first film, you know, into horror or the tagline of Edgar Wright's first horror film kind of shy you away. If you're mm-hmm. someone who usually can't handle handle a classic horror film, mm-hmm. you might be able to handle this one. So I would, totally. I would look more into it because um, it's much more stylized than your, your average horror film. Um, so horror is a genre that I'm very passionate about. It is one of the most accept, like accessible genres and Mm -hmm. therefore you get a lot of people making horror films for like their first films you get a lot of lower budget horror movies because it's a bit easier to make it can be told in a lot of different ways people enjoy pov horror films they enjoy found footage horror films Mm -hmm. those are all kind of tactics that do impact storytelling but they're also nice because you can utilize them to make a cheaper movie um however i think what this has done is led us to classic modern day horror um kind of big studio horror films that are just jump scare after jump scare and really not that good it's the horror films we get 10 of every year that are just story-wise character-wise everything else besides jump scares lacking and people just kind of view that as how horror works now however i think if truly dug into horror is one of the deepest genres there is out there. There's a lot of depth to it and a lot of storytelling potential in the way that we convey our fear on screen Mm -hmm. and the different kind of um, ways that can take shape visually, narratively from a storytelling perspective. And so, and I think we've seen a bit of a resurgence of good horror in like the A24 horse scene. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of that isn't very fun. It's, it's, it's kind of untouchable. Um, People don't really enjoy watching those movies. So unless you're really into art house cinema, then you're not going to enjoy them too much. We're missing whatever the eighties had, whatever the slasher genre had of like the rise of Halloween and um, those films of pulpy, like 
truly fun horror films that serve up good stories. Mm -hmm. And I think that last night in Soho is one of those films. It was one of the most fun films I've watched all year and truly scared me. The person I watched it with said afterwards that it was, you know, the perfect level of scariness to where you are, you are truly scared the whole time, but not so much so that it's taking fun out of it. You're able Mm -hmm. to really enjoy the film and its interactions because it has so much humor and heart and, and colors and uh, you know, cool production design from yeah. the sixties and all that to love. It's not so scary that you're, you know, not able to take in those things and enjoy that. Cause you're just so terrified of what's going to pop around the next corner kind of mm-hmm. thing. It yeah. doesn't get stuck in that, that kind of drudge. And I, and I love, I love when notable filmmakers say, Hey, I'm just going to do a genre I haven't really done before. I'm just mm-hmm. going to, fully go in and and try horror. I wish more directors did do that because it's a genre that that benefits more than any other genre from constant reimagining and kind of even remakes and sequels like usually that's not a good thing and there's plenty of horror remakes that are just cash grabs and awful, but there's lots that you know reimagine the story. There's so many different ways that fear can take shape like i mentioned Mm -hmm. and so having a filmmaker as talented as him with as much of a distinct artistic voice as him say i want to see what my talents as a filmmaker can do to elevate this genre how can i make horror what it's never been before and i think that edgar wright did this going into this movie i didn't think that it was going to be my favorite film of the year i didn't Mm. edgar wright is a filmmaker that i i absolutely love i admire so 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 much i do really love all his movies this may ruffle some feathers, but he's never been my favorite filmmaker ever. And I don't think he ever will be. But when I look back to his movies, when I look back to 2017, baby driver comes to mind. You know, when I look back to 2006, Shaun of the dead comes to mind as standout films from my year. So going into last night in Soho, I thought in the future, when I look back at what was the slate of 2021, like I want to remember this film as a notable feature. I don't want it to be immemorable. And it Mm -hmm. certainly was it. It really delivered on that. Like I said, it was one of the most fun times I've had watching a movie all year. Mm-hmm. Um, performances by Tom McKen- Thomas and McKenzie, who you might recognize from Jojo Rabbit, yeah. um, was absolutely terrific. Uh, she shares the screen um, with with uh, <laughs> Anya Taylor Johnson. Yeah, Anna Taylor Johnson, who has been around for a little while. Her breakout role was in Split in 2016, although most of you will probably recognize her from The Queen's Gambit just earlier this year. Um, Anya Taylor-Joy is fantastic in the role, but the the protagonist role really does go to Thomas and McKenzie, um, who after watching Jojo Rabbit, I really liked her and I was excited about her future, but I I wasn't sure about her ability to lead a film. Um, She also has a very specific voice. It's a very soft, soft voice. And it's, it's very beautiful and it's nice to listen to. But I remember watching Jojo Rabbit and thinking that voice might hold her back in the future. You Mm -hmm. know, I think that this movie still kind of plays into that. She plays a more innocent character. um, But I I think that her ability to really carry the film showed through and she did a terrific job. Um, also Matt Smith is in this film with Matt Smith is, is a, a, a character actor that's been around in Britain forever. And obviously fans of Dr. Who know him, but, but outside of that, he hasn't really broken into Hollywood too much, but with hmm. the release of last night in Soho, and then he's also playing a role in Morbius coming up, yeah. kind of having a breakout year, um, at least in terms of Hollywood. So right. good for him. Um, and he's fantastic in the film as well. Uh, 
yeah, the the visuals of the film are very, very fun, especially, mm-hmm. obviously, the sets uh, that take place in 1960. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fun to see Wright play with a period piece. He hasn't really done that before. Most of his films take place um, in modern day. Uh, but I could tell that he was just absolutely loving it, kind of paying homage to the films of that era, while also <laughs> making a pretty... Um, pretty spiteful um i guess condemnation on on the way that the entertainment industry kind of worked in that time and and Mm. probably still works today unfortunately um yeah overall i think that this was a super fun film i think Mm. that i love films that you you walk out of and you think when i go to suggest that to people i don't Mm. know what genre to tell them it is Mm -hmm. like i i hesitate to tell you guys it's a horror film because it's not that scary and i don't want you to think that it's nothing but scares Mm -hmm. but i hesitate to tell you it's a comedy because it's certainly scary at times and Mm -hmm. it's not nothing but jokes i hesitate to tell you a drama it's a drama because it's not sappy and dramatic the whole time but there's a emotional through line that really carries you know Mm -hmm. i love films where it's like i want to be able to tell my friends you know what what genre is it uh i don't know (laughs) it's its own genre it's its own thing and that's what happens when you get like I said, you get a voice as unique as Edgar Wright to take on a, a, a genre he's never had before. Mm-hmm. And you're going to get something elevated. You're going to get something that hasn't been done before. And while not perfect, while not my favorite film of the year, it is truly unique. It's unforgettable mm-hmm. for sure. I think that anyone, I could really suggest this movie to anyone. Yeah. Yeah. It has, it has something for everyone for sure. Totally. Yeah. I think both of the films that we're reviewing today truly were just enjoyable viewing Mm. experiences, very different, (laughs) Um, but a lot of, um, yeah, similarities as far as what stands out visually and with the music and and different things like that. They, both of them are just a really good time. Um, With this one, one of the things that I was grateful for is that I do feel like the trailer was accurate to what we actually got. I feel like we have reviewed a few movies lately where, um, it felt like the trailer was presenting the film in one way. And then once you actually watch it, it was pretty disappointing because it felt, uh, like it didn't match my expectations from what the trailer was giving me when I saw the trailer for this, I was genuinely excited and knew that it was going to be like weird and mysterious and kind of creepy and spooky. Um, and I think we got all of that and more, um, in this. So I'm grateful for that, (laughs) that after it, what feels like a string of a few, um, inaccurate trailers, this one, this one felt to the point. Yeah. So any other thoughts on it? Um, yeah, I mean, I think you really covered a good portion of it. Um, visually, it is very much a treat. Um, the soundtrack was so special as far as transporting you from, you know, her current stage back into the 60s. Um, and that from watching, I think Baby Driver is probably the only thing I have seen from Edgar Wright. Hmm. Um, but after seeing that movie, the things that I was expecting from him were two of those main things. Yeah. The strong visuals, um, and then just a really interesting and exciting soundtrack to match. So, um, I would agree that it didn't 
hook me quite as much as baby driver did because I feel like he used it a bit differently, but, um, still super standout. Um, yeah. When I I say that it's his least musical film, I don't mean to say that music isn't a big part of it because music plays even a vital role in the story. Totally. It just, if you're familiar with Edgar Wright films, the way that Edgar Wright uses music in his films, it's the most deviant from that typical style. Yes. And especially Baby Driver, like you mentioned, right. that one is pretty, even if you're not necessarily um, familiar tune, yeah, or yeah. or familiar with what Edgar Wright does and how he uses music, watching Baby Driver, I feel like you can pick it up. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. I remember seeing it with people and walking out after and talking about that, the connection to the actions, to the beat of the music. Right. And they were e- even watching up- the even watching the trailer of baby driver yeah. and you can oh, pick yeah. it up. Yeah. Yeah. They, the person I was with was like, Oh, I didn't catch that at all. <laughs> so <laughs> it is possible to miss it, but That's funny. Uh, yeah. So different, different in that sense. But, um, I was watching a behind the scenes video, uh, today of last night in Soho and there is one scene in particular. So the movie is really interesting because it's following, um, Thomas and Mackenzie's character, Ellie, in present day, but she is doing a bit of like time traveling dream visual situations where she is like watching Anya Taylor-Joy's character in the past, in the the 60s, but she is present and visually watching that happen. It was seamless. Like Mm. there is one Mm -hmm. scene in particular where um, two of the characters are dancing and the other female character comes in and they switch out. (laughs) And as I was watching it, I was like, wow, the editing on this is incredible. But then I watched a behind behind the scenes video today of them shooting that scene in particular. They probably just had her jumping. Yeah, literally. They were just, you know, I was watching because the camera movement, it was amazing. I was watching that same scene and I remember thinking, while the editing is spectacular because it's a wide shot there's lots of dancers in the background there's matt smith's character yes the ability to just be able to reframe that like exactly so precisely like first of all you wouldn't know if you got it exactly right until you got to the editing room so that would just be nearly impossible i was very impressed but then there was one specific move where i was like oh no they're literally just jumping back and forth and frame and not because i i could there was just one that I could kind of tell, hmm. but I, I love that. I think that's so fun. Like oh, I, I love, I want to watch the behind the scenes video now of them yeah. doing it to yeah. Watch them yeah. <laughs> literally pass each other off back yeah. and forth, but watching it does, does create this seamless visual yeah. and not just that scene, but so many scenes in the film, like you'll have one character experiencing something mm-hmm. and her reflection being the other mm-hmm. character and their moving in in mirrored ways but then also sometimes breaking from that Mm -hmm. really 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 cool yeah very cool um oh I was gonna say something else and now I don't remember it um I guess the last thing that I'll mention um is towards the end uh it got a little bit cheesy for me uh I think when it really entered into its horror phase it was it felt like it was really struggling between like a, like a playful (laughs) situation and like genuinely wanting to be dark and scary and horror, which I, I do feel like it has that. And it is definitely dark, especially towards the end, but I think it just got a little 
Yeah. I don't know. It wasn't, yeah, I, it wasn't I feel super that. solid for me. So yeah. Yeah. But overall, think, Oh yeah. yeah no, I, I agree. I think that it does kind of struggle a bit to, to, you know, balance those two things, mm-hmm. the, the playful horror aspects with just becoming genuinely cheesy and taking yeah. away from like any weight that the actual story has. Um, but ultimately I think it, it does stick the landing and it, and it proves effective. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So a fun watch. Fun watch for sure. I will that- also say uh, Anya Taylor-Joy um, sings a song mm. in the film. She does this like acapella version of downtown, which is actually featured in the trailer. Yeah. Um, and it is just hauntingly beautiful. It was, does, it does was she perfect. sing it for real? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, she does. Yeah. That's very impressive. Yeah. Yeah, I, I assumed it was someone else because yeah, it's, no. it's gorgeous. It's her. Um, yeah, so this film is available in theaters right now. Um, and I think just in theaters at the moment. Mm-hmm. But definitely go give it a watch. If you're if you're still in the spooky mood, um, still yes. riding that Halloween high and you want to watch one of the better horror films of the year, mm-hmm. this is it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I have a question regarding something you said, not oh. related to this movie, but movies in general. You were talking about trailers and expectations and the fact that some past films or some films disappointing because the trailers were misleading. Um, and I was actually having this conversation with, again, my friend Noel, another shout out to Noel, um, just the other day, well, on Halloween, because mm-hmm. she was watching, I don't remember what it was but there was a specific movie that she didn't like because the trailer sold her something different mm-hmm. than what she expected to be. Yeah. And she said, I think it's a good movie or maybe it was a TV show, something like that. But mm-hmm. she said, I think it's a good show. I think it's a good movie. I just now forever don't like it because I expected something else. Sure. So how do you feel about that? Do you want trailers to trick you? Do you want them to, um, give you everything do you mm-hmm. how do you feel about that mm-hmm. and I I have some answers I kind of came up with when talking to mm-hmm. her mm-hmm. of my own but I want you yeah. to go first yeah uh in more recent years the movie that I can point to that was one of the more frustrating situations of this uh, which I feel like you're not gonna, <laughs> you're not gonna love this but Mamma Mia 2 <laughs> <laughs> was one of upon initial watch was one of the biggest letdowns. I loved Mamma Mia. I went and saw Mamma Mia on Broadway. I love it. Mamma Mia 2 rolls around. The trailer literally would make me weep. Like that it it just had the perfect amount of emotion. I was so excited. I went and watched it. Upon first watch, I walked out of the theater. I was so disappointed. And upon additional watches. I have grown to enjoy it more. Um, but I think a trailer has such potential. It's so powerful and influential. You can watch a 30 second to two minute trailer and it can make me like, it can make you cry. It can make you scared. It can make you excited. Um, or I can watch a trailer and I can be like, "Mm, I don't think I want to go see that. There is so much influence that comes from the trailer. Is that always fair to put so much pressure on a trailer? No, I don't think so. A trailer is such a small glimpse of what an entire film is, but I think it's an incredibly powerful tool to hook you. I I am okay if it 
Um, if it doesn't meet my expectations in that it gives me more, (laughs) but where I have the issue is when it, when it claims in the trailer, which again, I know it's a small, small sliver of what it actually is, but when it claims in a trailer that it is spooky or scary or thrilling, or that I'm going to cry a lot or whatever, and then doesn't deliver on that, then I do, I feel that disappointment. And maybe I'm setting myself up for that, but also they are, they are invoking that reaction in me in that trailer. And if that's not accurate to the film, then it feels dishonest. Sure. So two things. Yeah. I want to talk more about, it has most, like it most has to do with claims, um, claims of how you're going to feel watching this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, is it going to make you scared? Is it yeah. going to be action packed? Is it going to be more heartfelt? Um, and I want to discuss those, but first I want to get away from Mama Mia was a good example. And I, and I'm sorry, you had to deal with that, but I want to get away from, from franchises or uh-huh. sequels or anything like that, because that's an entirely different breed. Uh-huh. You have to, not only are you promising, what is this movie going to be like, but you have a certain expectation based on pre- sure. past movies, based sure. on fan bases. Yeah. I'm talking for original films. Sure. Just you've never even heard of this story or at yeah. least like, you know, it's not based on anything. It's not a sequel yeah. to anything. I mean, it's Lamb just, just did that a couple episodes yeah. ago. Yeah. So like, the, you know, uh, a horror movie not actually being that scary once you go see it or totally. a funny movie being more dramatic once you go see it, that kind of thing. Yeah. I think it does have to do with expectations, but here's mm-hmm. the thing. One of my favorite one of my favorite things in life is mm-hmm. I, and I love trailers. I'm super mm-hmm. passionate about trailers, even, even separate, even not attached to films as Heather could tell you, I love trailers. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of my favorite things in life is general audiences being tricked into seeing better movies than they think they're going to see. Mm. Like it, it just gives me such joy. Is that a little bit manipulative? Yeah, but I don't care. Like <laughs> going and watching people like, going to a movie that seems like it's going to be something mm-hmm. and watching three people walk out because they don't like what they're seeing because it's not what they expected. Yeah. But then watching the other 10 people who stayed kind of say afterwards, like, whoa, that was, that was really good. Like better than I expected. Different, Do you have an example of that of like a recent movie where that's happened? Um, No, I think like a bigger example would be when we took a big group to see Blade Runner 2049 Yeah, is a lot of people hadn't seen the original Blade Runner. Mm -hmm. And so they assumed just having heard its name, knowing it's a famous sci-fi film, Mm -hmm. they assumed it was more Star Wars-y than it actually is, more action-y. And then the trailers for Blade Runner 49 certainly sold it as more action-packed than it is as a film. There's very little action in the film as a whole mm-hmm. and so going to see that and, and and i don't people didn't walk out of that showing because it was it was at the grammas theater night, but yeah. yeah it was opening night <laughs> however i think that the people in our group um some friends of mine who came really like in the moment after they were just mm-hmm. kind of taken aback or maybe mm-hmm. off guard maybe they felt like disappointed in it but afterwards i think I had a lot of conversations like with Nathaniel and stuff mm-hmm. about really appreciating the film yeah, um, a lot in like a yeah. post-watch. I but, feel like maybe something like The Green Knight, which is also something that we oh, reviewed definitely. from this year, is very much like that as well. Yeah, and, that's a good yeah, example. And and there's two, there's like two versions of that. Like when I went and saw The Green Knight, Max, my friend Max was super excited for it and yeah. was very disappointed because right. it wasn't like as action as he wanted it to be. 
yeah. my friend Noel, who thought it was going to be more, which third shout out of the episode to Noel, but <laughs> my friend Noel, she literally says that's her favorite movie of all time now, yeah. or like one of her favorite movies of all time. May I think so. Maybe the year. I don't know. I don't want to be misquoting you, but I'm pretty sure that's what she oh. says. Uh, however, she like wasn't necessarily, I don't know if she had a ton of expectations, but they sure. weren't what it was. Yeah. But I want to, so back to my conversation with Noel about this, I think with films, like whatever one she was referencing with films with you where Lamb sold it to be scarier mm -hmm. and then it wasn't that scary. Mm -hmm. I think if you walk away and you think a film disappointed you mm -hmm. because it wasn't what you expected, but it's still a good film. Mm -hmm. No, I think you have to recognize the fact that you don't, you just don't like the film that much mm -hmm. and that's okay. It's like a coin toss. You know how they say like flip a coin tells you what you actually want based on how you feel about the sure. result. Yeah. No one is disappointed by being given something better than they expected, hmm. even if it's different. Mm -hmm. You know, like if I, and this is pretty like specific to films and like artistic yeah. merits. I'm not saying with like objects or meals or whatever. Yeah. It's the same, but for the most part, if you are expecting something and it's different, but obviously better mm -hmm. than what you thought it was going to be, you're not going to complain about that. Mm -hmm. So the only reason you would be disappointed that it's not what it was is because it was different, but it didn't elevate that at all. Mm -hmm. It was either different, but meh, or different, yeah. but worse. Yeah. So I think if you're disappointed by the differences, you just have to recognize that meh, maybe you just don't like the film that much. Yeah. And like that plays a part in it. Certainly like, your 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 disappointment is going to be is going to uh be uh, expounded upon if mm -hmm. you were expecting it to be something it wasn't sure however i think if you're expecting something it to be something it wasn't and then it was better that makes your joy of that almost mm -hmm. greater sometimes because mm -hmm. it's not like a oh it wasn't that i kind of wish it was but i guess it was really good yeah. no it's like no it wasn't that and i'm so glad it wasn't because i wouldn't mm -hmm. want it to be anything but what it ended up being hmm. you know Mm -hmm. And I love that. I love the feeling of watching a movie and being like, that was not what I expected. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad that person made that movie because mm -hmm. if I had made that movie, obviously, I don't know, but based off the trailer, yeah. it wouldn't have been that. Yeah. And it would have been much worse than that. So <laughs> I'm glad they made it. So I got to watch it. That's amazing. Yeah. I love yeah. it. Yeah. I love it. Oh, it's, it's so fun. It's interesting. <sighs> but I will say true trailers are truly influential. The people mm. who have, but the I job will say screw mama Mia. Here we go again. <laughs> yes. Always and forever. Always and forever. <laughs> Forget uh, it. Anyways, it's good. All right. <laughs> Moving on to our second review of the episode, Heather, uh, take it away. Take it away. Feeling a little riled up about mama Mia too. So <laughs> let's see how this goes. You need to take a breather. <laughs> no, I'm okay. I'm okay. Uh, yeah. So for this week, I'm going to be talking about the French Dispatch, uh, which actually came out a couple weeks ago, uh, but we are just getting around to reviewing it. So hopefully that means that you all have had some time to go see it. Um, or maybe you're like us and you have just seen it recently. Whatever the case, here's the French, French Dispatch. Uh, 
The French Dispatch is the latest film from writer-director Wes Anderson, um, who I'm sure you know his name. You likely know his works. Um, Some of them include The Grand Budapest Hotel, Moonrise Kingdom, Isle of Dogs, uh, The Royal Tenenbaums. Um, He, I think he has 25 films. Is that right? Does that sound right? Oh my goodness. Not feature films, no. You don't think so? I don't. I don't think so. I don't know so. why I that number is to... in my head, but I think anyway. I could name them and I'm pretty sure it's more like 11. Okay. Okay. Well, regardless, he's done a lot um, and he has a very distinct style. You, I'm sure if you have seen any of those, you know that. Um, but this story in particular is uh, the story of the French Dispatch, which is a magazine. It's an American-based magazine or it's an American magazine based out of Ennui France. Um, Yeah, fancy, Uh, which actually is a fictional place, apparently. (laughs) I uh, (laughs) thought it was real. What is that? Um, And this is actually uh, like an anthology based film. So it features a couple of the different stories that are going to be published in the final issue of this magazine. Um, This bit uh, is revealed at the beginning of the movie. It's okay if I say it right. It's kind of like a central part of the story. Um, The the editor creator of the magazine, um, Arthur Howitzer Jr. um, has passed away. And upon his passing away, there are all these different, um, (sighs) what's the word I'm looking for? Basically, it's going to be the last issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Part of part of him passing away and his like final wishes Mm -hmm. um, is ultimately that the magazine ceases to exist after uh, his passing. So this is the final issue. Um, There are four stories that are told. um, And I'm just going to kind of mention what the stories are and a couple of the people featured in them. Um, So the first story that it opens up with uh, features Owen Wilson, and it's a travel guide uh, for France. This story in particular is very short, um, Mm -hmm. almost to the point where as I've been kind of listening to some other reviews and people talking yeah. about it most people don't acknowledge it <laughs> as one of the stories yeah uh, I don't think it is I think it is it's the first one that it opens with it's there's also three other stories that are labeled part one two and three so they, but they open with a cover on his story of the travel it's guide. similar like a magazine at, yeah. at the beginning of a local magazine you would have kind of the local colors section and that would be it's not one of the main articles of the magazine it's just kind of something that every magazine throws at the beginning Mm. of like what's going on here around town before we give you the taste of what's going on all around france and the world well that makes sense it can certainly be yeah yeah (laughs) it can certainly be considered one of i mean it's part of the film and it's a fun part i'm not trying to take away from its impact or anything yeah but when you view it as an anthology film of these three stories I think that it's the three stories. Okay, great. Well, then the first story uh, (laughs) features... Owen Wilson is great. (laughs) Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson films is great. We love it. (laughs) A returning returning character. Um, Okay, the first story uh, features Benicio Del Toro, Adrian Brody, Leah Sadu, and Tilda Swinton. And uh, it's about a prisoner who becomes a wildly famous artist while he is behind bars. Um, And this one was 
my favorite of the different stories that are told by far, like far and above. Um, Just fantastic, which I'll, yeah, I'll get into more. Also, Tilda Swinton's character is my favorite character of the whole film. She was phenomenal. (laughs) I just loved her so much. She was so good. Uh, The second story features Timothy Chalamet and Frances McDormand and follows the story of kind of young French revolutionists. Um, and then the last story showcases Jeffrey Wright and Leave Schreiber's in it. Um, and it's titled The Private Dining Room of the Police Commissioner, uh, which is this zany tale of a kidnapping and a, lot of fun. and a chef. And like, there's yeah. a lot going on in that one. Um, overall, this movie was a super fun watch. Um, and as we have talked about, if I have to rate it, which... I do because I'm me. Um, I think I would give it like a seven and a half out of 10. Um, Does that surprise you? I'd give it a little higher than that personally. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, Some of the things that I liked about this um, in true Wes Anderson fashion, this is just a visual treat of a film. Um, It's very colorful, but is also in black and white. (laughs) So, so it bounces back and forth between black and white and in color, um, which is actually a really fun addition. If you consider the fact that these are news stories, they're printed in a magazine, um, which are in black and white words, uh, but then come to life in these stories. So, um, that it's not always so literal like that, but was just a ton of fun. Um, going off of that, the production design is just fantastic. This really feels like a play at times. Um, many of the stories have sets, which obviously like (laughs) that's what movies Mm -hmm. do. They have sets, but it feels more theatrical in their sets. Um, and just very, uh, ornate at times, also really simple at times. And just, I loved the commitment to it, given that these scenes, you really only stick with them for a very short amount of time. Um, it was, it's just a lot of fun. It's so fun. The costume design, the set production, it's just, um, wonderful. It's it's classic Wes Anderson. Like, you know, what you're going to get and it's it's Wes Anderson at his most Wes Anderson. Yes. Yes. So I mean, if you were a fan of his style, yeah, you're gonna get it in space. More of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, again, as far as the the dialogue, it's very witty, it's funny, laugh out loud at times. Um, it just has some really great dialogue delivered by truly fantastic actors. Mm-hmm. Um, as I already mentioned, the the first story, uh, the one about the the artist in prison, uh, was just my favorite. The um, main actors in that one, again, Benicio Del Toro, Adrian Brody, Leah Sadu, and Tilda Swinton, uh, were just absolutely fantastic. Benicio Del Toro, in particular, was probably my favorite part of the film. Mm. But again, that's hard <laughs> that's hard given Tilda Swinton and Adrian Brody. Um, yeah. Adrian Brody's character is very eccentric and <laughs> he like plays, he plays Adrian Brody in every Wes Anderson film. Like it's, it's the same character in every film, <laughs> but oh, I love it. I it's love fantastic. it. Fantastic. He's it was, yeah, it was great. Um, additionally, the second story featuring Timothy Chalamet and Francis McDormand, mm-hmm. although it wasn't my favorite story, the two of them together, I thought were really great and just really, um, like the banter in between them and 
uh, and their characters, which is just like <laughs> the way that their characters interact with each other and how their story plays out is really, it's a little odd, but um, I just really enjoyed the two of them. Um, so yeah, for all the stories, incredible dialogue, very fast paced. Um, again, like I said, laugh out loud, funny moments, uh, which was great considering that some of the stories have some pretty dark parts to them. So mm. that was a nice kind of added yeah. bit of flair. Yeah. Um, and then last but not least, this does have a really great soundtrack with it um, to just top off the already fun and engaging film. Um, the music music is done by Alexander Desplat, who has done Wes Anderson films before, um, like Fantastic Mr. Fox, Moonrise Kingdom, Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, he's also worked on films like Little Women, The Shape of Water, The Danish Girl. His, his composition, his uh, work that he has been a part of is just prolific. It's insane. Yeah, uh, he's one of the most famous composers out there. Today. Yeah, just the projects he's been a part of have they're just fantastic so um that is just again a lot of fun uh just to go alongside an already fun and engaging uh movie visually his music just adds so much to it um as far as some of the things that were not as great for me um the pacing was a little tough for me at times especially towards the end um mm. I kind of wish that the stories were actually told in a different order. <laughs> and that's purely based off of which ones I enjoyed the most. Okay. Um, but yeah, the first story was by far my favorite. And I think like halfway through the second story, I, oopsie, I think halfway through the second story, um, my interest started waning a little bit. And then the third story was probably my least favorite story. So not that, not to say that any of it was hard to be engaged with or hard to, uh, stay interested in. Um, but I do feel like it started strong for me and then just got more weak as it went on. Mm. Um, so I don't know what the intention or purpose of, how he ordered them. I don't know if there's anything to that, but for me personally, I wish it was flipped around a little bit more. Um, and then secondly, the, the central kind of theme and story, the thing connecting all of these is the magazine is the French dispatch. And, uh, in particular is Arthur Howitzer Jr., who again is played by Bill Murray. Um, and we know right at the start of the film that he, oops, sorry. Um, we know right from the beginning that he has passed away. And that's why we're going on this journey of building his last issue. Um, and then the film actually wraps with his staff writing his obituary together, um, which is like a special moment to get to witness that and see them kind of put their heads together to create this. However, I don't feel like I knew <laughs> anything really about Arthur Howitzer Jr. Uh, for me to care a whole lot or to be emotionally vested, invested in him and mm the significance of him passing away. So I wish there was a little bit more of that. And 
I wish that Bill Murray got to shine a little bit more um, in his role. I actually think I, I'm going to disagree with you quite a bit there. I think that it's made pretty clear from the offset that his character is defined by the magazine. I mean, it's everything mm-hmm. he ever did. It's everything he ever stood for. It's what he's done for like 50 years at this point. And yeah. quite literally, it dies with him. Mm-hmm. And you see throughout the film his interactions with his writers. writers. And at every mm-hmm. point he comes to, 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 to points where he doesn't necessarily agree with them on anything. Mm-hmm. Um or not on anything, but on something. And yeah. every time he ultimately gives them the option mm-hmm. to do it their way or take his advice. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the style that he worked as, as an editor and why this magazine became as popular as it is in the, mm-hmm. in the world of the movie is because of this, you know, he kind of has breeded this magazine as his baby into mm-hmm. um, kind of the perfect magazine for him. And, and it, literally is him and and kind of the through line emotionally and message wise of the film has a lot to do with um like acceptance of where you are in life fitting in where you are are you where you should be are you where you can be can you be where you should be or where you want to be and i actually think that that's the reasoning for the order of the films Mm -hmm. is they touch more on that kind of acceptance especially the last last part of the last story yeah uh touch more on that subject as it goes on and it kind of reinforces that so that when you do return to the 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 moment of of the group of him and his death yeah and his passing it's more so sending off you know this magazine that has become this this curated Mm -hmm. version to i mean the magazine from the very beginning is a french magazine sold in um, missouri you Mm -hmm. know like from the very beginning it's something that is where it doesn't quote belong and mm-hmm. i think that that is just like what he has given birth to and and yeah. it goes with him sure and that's sad but it's a beautiful celebration of the work that he's done and what mm-hmm. he's allowed these writers to do and ideally will continue doing and yeah. it's affected people's lives even in the story we get to see kind of in the individual stories i mean it, we mm-hmm. get to see mm-hmm. kind of its impact so i actually really enjoy that and i think that we pre- purposely we don't really get much of him outside of his work on the magazine yeah. because that's yeah. like all that him. represents him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. But I mean, I love that's Bill Murray. So yeah. Bill more, more Bill Murray. I'm never going to yeah. complain about. Yeah, you know? of course. Yeah. That's a great take. Uh, last but not least, this is very Wes Anderson. So if that's not your vibe or if even the anthology type storytelling is not appealing to you, um, this could be tough for you. However, I would say, put yourself out there, go see it. It is just an enjoyable and fun time. Um, Visually beautiful, great soundtrack, incredible acting. Um, So those things in and of itself should should pull you in. Um, I will say that the format of the film um, is typically like a a square, right? Uh, It's a 4-3. Okay. So So a rectangle still, but much higher of a format, yeah. than, like of a frame than you're used to seeing on yeah. the big screen. Yeah. In, I don't know if it was just the theater that I saw it in or what, but the screen I was, was watching it on was not quite big enough. You could yeah. technically see everything, um, but it was very close at the top and bottom at some parts. Um, so that was just something that was like, oh, yeah, it doesn't quite, doesn't quite fit. 
I would actually suggest seeing this at a smaller theater if you have one near you, one with smaller rooms and smaller projections. Ideally, one that doesn't have screens that are curved at all, where the projection mm. is flat, because that will serve the format better and it'll serve the cell better. And it probably won't be cut off like it was for yeah. our showings because ours was the same way. Yeah. Um, I I mean, ultimately you don't miss totally too too much, but sure. Um, you know, also yeah. it, it is a film that was released in small theaters only at the beginning and mm-hmm. actually had one of the biggest kind of indie uh opening weekends that of the of the pandemic. So mm-hmm. I think he kind of envisioned it being on a smaller scale as well mm-hmm. while mm-hmm. he while he made it. Not not to diminish it. I'm not saying you shouldn't totally. go see it in theaters or anything like that. I would really suggest that. Yeah. But yeah, just know that if you're going to like a you know a major blockbuster uh house kind of film mm-hmm. you're you might have some of your you might have the top and the bottom of your frame yeah. chopped off very tight yeah so those are my thoughts it was very fun very enjoyable um i yeah i liked it yeah and i don't really have too much to add you know across the i kind of i i said what i thought about the, about the story and the kind of emotional through line which was something that i didn't really expect going mm-hmm. into the film I, I actually expected it to be more detached from itself than it was. Um, and maybe foolishly, I, I expected that, but I was really pleased by that kind of turn of events. Um, I thought the characters were all fantastic. The actors were fantastic for the amount of time you spent with most of them. Yeah. Um, the amount you get to know them and care about them really, really shows how well of a writer Wes Anderson film and mm-hmm. uh, Wes Anderson is and how you know well he works with his actors. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, you know, just his style. I don't want to just reiterate everything you said. It's a Wes Anderson film. Like if Mm -hmm. you like that style, there's tons of it here. It's very enjoyable. It's very, very fun. Mm -hmm. Super entertaining. Yeah. Loved it. Great. That is the French dispatch. It is also currently only in theaters. Um, you never know with films like this, how long they're going to be there. So I would say go, go see it, go see it, go see it. Yeah. You will not regret it. It's a great watch. Well, I think that is all we have for you guys today. Not I think. I know. That's all we have <laughs> for you guys today. That's all, um, folks. Thanks for being here with us. Um, let us know. Did you dress up for Halloween? Are you going to mm. dress your kids for Halloween in the future? Um, do you care about movie trailers and whether they are truthful or not? Uh, just... do, you, do you like being lied to? <laughs> <laughs> only if it's it. good <laughs> only if it's a good lie uh but thanks as thanks thanks as always thanks as always <laughs> thanks as always for being here with us um we hope you guys enjoy uh also just a quick shout out to a quick take that we just mm. posted um well when you're listening to this could be anywhere from yesterday to many days ago. Um, (laughs) We posted a review that Wyatt did of the harder they fall, the harder they fall. Yeah. If the day that we're recording this, I posted um, a little thing to our story kind of explaining what they are, but basically moving forward, Heather and I are going to be picking up some of the um, movies that we're not able to cover in this format in our two per week format um ones that we really want you to see we really want to talk about but we're just not able to fit them in and make mm-hmm. these 
episodes reasonably long. Um, and so we're going to be covering those in smaller episodes called quick picks. And the idea is for them to be around eight to 12 minutes. The one that I put out today is just eight minutes long. Um, and they're just more direct, a little bit more professional reviews. Um, but they're going to be either one. Of us, so just Heather, just myself and a way for you to just kind of, you know, pop in, hear what we think about the movies and go about your day. Uh, so if that is interesting to you at all, go ahead and give that one a listen. That movie is going to be available on Netflix Friday, or not Friday, goodness gracious, Wednesday, November Wednesday. 3rd, yeah. um, which again, depending on when you're listening to this may, it probably has already happened. Yeah. Um, but I really love the film myself. I'd love for you to go listen to what I have to say further than that. I think you should watch it. I think you should listen to the episode <laughs> and uh, yeah, mm. look for, look for more of those to come in the future. Totally. Yeah. Thanks for being here, guys. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Um, and of course, join us over on Instagram at Two Takes on Film. Uh, as always, if you have any thoughts, comments, suggestions, uh, love letters for us, feel free to send that uh, to our email, two takes on film at gmail.com. Um, that so was cute. close, but not quite. <sighs> I thought I got it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. And what do I do? I choose to ignore it because... What else am I going to do, you know? <laughs> <laughs>